title of the sermon today is The Edifying Church. My assignment is to teach you how the church is to benefit from its members as they relate to one another in regards to accountability and encouragement. We're going to talk about what the edifying church looks like in practical terms, what it is to edify one another, and why we should be edifying one another in the first place. How do we go about doing that? What things could we do that would kill this function? And what are the principles needed to cause us to excel in the edification of the church? And I want to get around to answering all of those questions, but before we get there, I need to build a foundation in your thoughts upon which all of these other things will make sense. I'm going to be teaching you all something today that is undoubtedly going to ring true to your ears as you hear it, because I'm going to pull a little trick on you. I'm only going to tell you what you already know. But possibly I will be explaining it from a different angle than maybe you've thought about it before. And I'm not going to keep a secret to, as to what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to tell you right up front. I got five points to make, and here they are. Number one, God is a God of relationships. Relationships are his top priority for his people. Number two, God is a God of consistency. That is to say, God is predictable. He tends to do things in an established pattern. Even though he could change things up if he wanted to, he actually doesn't do that very often. Number three, God has used people throughout history to do his work through them. And he has done this not only to accomplish his will in the world, but also out of his desire to have an intimate relationship with people. Number four, God wants to use you to carry out his purpose here on earth through you and in order to have a closer relationship with you. And number five, if this church will submit to God in the way of serving him faithfully by edifying each other faithfully, then this church would generate more supernatural power from God to affect this world for good than any of us could possibly imagine. As promised, we're going to take this topic point by point. We're going to start with my first point, which is there is nothing that means more to God than relationships. Now, at first, that might surprise you because maybe you thought that God's glory meant more to God than anything else. Or maybe you thought that the gospel of Christ meant more to God than anything else. Or maybe you thought that it was a host of other things that ranked higher on God's priority scale than relationships. But I hope to show you why I am saying that relationships are at the core of God's being and that nothing matters to God more than relationships. And to do this, I want to start at the beginning. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want to point out to you that before God did that, there were no heavens and there was no earth. 
This verse then is very comprehensive in its nature as it explains to us what God made. It says he made the earth and it says he made the heavens, which is really just a one word description of everything that isn't the earth. Before he created the heavens and the earth, the question is, was he alone? And the answer is no. Because before he did that, we also know that he had created an entire angelic host. In fact, if you are unaware of the timing of the creation of the angels as being before the creation of, of the earth, turn with me to Job and chapter 38, verse 4. We'll pick it up. And this is God talking to Job about when he was creating the world. This is 4 through 7. God's a little sarcastic here. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid the cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? God is here describing the scene as he was creating the physical universe, and he says in that final verse that I read, the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. This is a description of the angels praising God for all he is doing while he's creating everything else. If the angels were there and they were praising God while he was doing that, then they must have been around from before the time he was doing that. You're following the logic, I know. But you're thinking, okay, so what's the point? Well, before God made the universe, he made the angels. And before God did that, as far as we know, there was nothing but God. Now, before you go and think that God was all alone before he had created and that somehow he was lonely before he created the angels, it is important to realize God was never alone. God was never lonely because he was always within himself three persons. In fact, not only was he not alone, but he didn't even do the creating alone. The Spirit and the Son were both involved in the creating. If you look at Genesis 1-2, it even mentions the Spirit by name. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. If you read down a little further into chapter 1, verse 26, you'll hear this little ditty. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, I know I'm not surprising any of you, but God does not refer to him as I. God refers to himself as us. He refers to himself in the plural. Now, some may think, well, maybe he's talking to the angels. They're there. Maybe he's talking to them. That's actually impossible. That's an impossible conclusion. We'll get to that in a moment. But what we do see is that God is involving the spirit. And what we find out later is that God is actually involving Christ. All three are involved and you're saying, well, the Spirit's mentioned in Genesis, but Christ's not there. Where do you get that? Well, if you go to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, 
Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. You can also look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It gives us the exact same message. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things that were made were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. When you add all of those things together, you get a picture of the Trinity. Before anything was ever made, including the angels, God existed. And it was God who did all the creating. He did it all by himself, and yet he is three persons in one, and so he was never all by himself. Now, just in case... Someone wants to think that maybe God was referring to the angels when he said, let us make man in our image. Let me take you to another place. This is Isaiah chapter 44, verse 24. I'm going to read the second half. Listen to this, and you tell me if there's any possibility that angels were involved in the creating. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens who spread out the earth by myself. When God created, he did so alone. No one but God created. So when God said, let us make man in our image, he was not talking to angels. Angels did not create anything. They are themselves created things. And they watched as God created the physical universe. They praised him for it, but they did not help him do it According to the Bible, he did it by himself. I know that you understand this. I know that you understand that angels are not eternal beings and that they were created. But just to build this case completely biblically, I want you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 14 and 15. This is God talking to Lucifer. Listen to what God says. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. So we, we see clearly that the angels were created, but just in case you still need to see that angels are not on the same level as the creator, or the Trinity, you can look in Hebrews chapter 1 again. This is 1 verse 6. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Down in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 10 through 14, it says, and I want to say this, this is God talking to Christ. Listen to what God says to Christ. And you, O Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same. Your years have no end. 
And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not they, this is talking about angels, all ministering spirits sent to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Now, I've just taken you through all of those things to prove out scripturally two things. Number one, before God created, there was nothing but God. And number two, when there was nothing but God that existed, he was not alone because with him always were the Son and the Spirit who were incidentally both participating in the creating of everything else. So again, before God created, there was nothing but God. When God was alone before he created anything, he was not alone. God has never been alone. Within the being of God, there is relationship. It is part of who he is. You cannot separate God from himself. And so relationship has eternally existed between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, if the Trinity does not make sense to you, don't worry about it. It doesn't make sense to anybody. God's the only one that understands that, and he's the only one that has to. My point in all this is simple. When there was nothing but God, there existed relationships. The Father has always eternally loved the Son and the Spirit who have always eternally loved him and each other. This eternal relationship is the model for everything else God has done. When he first created, he created angels. And angels were made to have the ability to be in relationship with God. Built into that creation of the angels was that each angel, though they were created by God, they were actually an individual that existed apart from God. Angels could think independently and make their own choices. They each had abilities that though those abilities were God-given, once they were given, they became the ability of that angel and were under that angel's authority. And we see this very clearly in the story of Satan and the other fallen angels. God gave them life and he gave them powers specific to them. And when they chose to rebel, they still kept their life and their powers. Those things did not vanish just because those angels decided to go against God. This is really proof positive that when God gave them life and powers, he actually, and think about this, he actually really gave those things to them. It was as if he took a piece of his own life and a piece of his own power, handed it to some other being and said, you can forever have this. Why would he do that? The answer seems to be, that's the only way you can have a real relationship. There is not a verse in the Bible that you can find that will back up what I just said. But it seems to me that the word of God, when taken as a whole, 
has a theme throughout Scripture that actually does back up that idea, the idea that God has done all that he has done for the sake of having and building and creating relationships. Then God, after creating the angels, turns and creates a vast physical universe. And what's the pinnacle of that physical creation? He creates a being that is both spirit and flesh that can live in a physical dimension and still relate to the spiritual one. That's right. That's what you and I are. We are physical creatures that can relate to the spirit. Like angels, we were given life that will never be taken from us. Now, where you spend eternal life may differ greatly, but your life will never end. It's a gift. It was given. It's yours. We were also given the powers that we have. Whatever power it is in you that makes you you, that's yours. You keep that for eternity. You ever noticed that even people that don't believe in God, even people that hate God, they can still be talented, they can still be beautiful, they can still be smart. You see, God has given them what they are, and he's really given it to them. They can choose to do whatever they want with it. It's theirs. Why would he do that? Except that that is the way he's able to have a real relationship with them. Folks, God has created beings that have a will of their own, that live lives of their own, that have powers of their own, that make choices of their own, because those are the only kind of beings that can be in true relationship to God and in true relationship to each other. God is a God of relationships. It is part of who he is. And it is what he made you to be. Now that's point one. And I know that took a while, but have no fear. The rest of them go quicker. <laughs> point two is that God is consistent. In fact, he's so consistent, he is, dare I say, predictable. In Psalm 115.3, it says this, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Another translation said, he does whatever he wants to. And I, I love this. This is one of my favorite verses. I love this verse. It speaks of the unlimited quality of the power of God. God does anything and everything he wants to do with absolutely no limitation on him whatsoever. This verse tells us God can do anything, but... By our observation, he seems to limit himself quite a lot. Did you know that God could light the world with something other than the sun? He could, couldn't he? Say yes. Of course he could. He's God. He can light the world with something other than the sun. What would it be? I don't know. He could figure it out, I'm sure himself but since he created the sun he has always always 
chose to light the world with the sun. It hasn't changed. He could change it anytime he wanted to, and yet he leaves it just as it is. It is extraordinarily predictable. Who here thinks the sun's going down tonight? Who here thinks it's coming back up tomorrow? Incredibly predictable. Sometimes his predictability annoys me a little bit. I have never yet woke up in the morning floating around in my bedroom. I mean, I wish it would happen. I wish he'd turn off gravity for a little bit. Just decrease it by half for a day or two. You know, we could jump 10 feet in the air and float around. I would think it was fun. If I had the power to do that, watch out because it's coming. God is much more dependable than me. He made things to function in a certain way. And he keeps those things functioning in just that way. He doesn't change them. He could anytime he wanted to, but he nearly never does. The first two things then we need to see about God from our little talk today is that God is a God of relationships and that he is very consistent in his methods. Hopefully I have adequately proven those two things to you because we are moving on to point three. Point three is that God has used people throughout all of human history to do his work through them. And in doing this, by the way, he has accomplished not one but two things. First, he has accomplished his will in the world. Secondly, he has established close relationships with those people whom he has worked through. To prove that point, I could go to mm, every story in the Bible. So hopefully I can abbreviate my examples, right? Take, for example, the story of Moses. I like to use this story for this concept. I want you to think about what I'm about to say, and I want you to apply it to just any other story in the Bible you can think of. First of all, I want you to ask yourself, based upon your understanding of what the Bible says about God, ask yourself this, did God need Moses to get the Jews out of Egypt and into the promised land? Did he need Moses for that? Or could he have done it on his own? Could he have done it on his own? Let me ask it another way. If God had wanted to get the Jews out of Egypt on his own, could he not have just zapped them from Egypt into the promised land in a millisecond? Yes, we're in agreement. He could have done that. He has the power to do that. He's God. He can do anything. He could have done it in a millisecond, and quite frankly, from my perspective, it would have been a much better plan. <laughs> he would not have had to put up with them for 40 years of whining and complaining, not to mention all that he had to go through just to get Moses to go talk to Pharaoh in the first place. If I were God's advisor, I would have pulled him to the side. I would have said from the beginning, listen, do not use humans to get your will done. They will mess things up and they'll take forever. Just do the little zappy thing, done. I would have said that. But God had something else he wanted to accomplish. If all he had desired 
was to get Israel into the promised land. My little zappy idea. I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm thinking that's pretty good. I'm, I'm thinking God's even going, man, good job, Steve. <laughs> but that's not all. That's not all God wanted to do. He doesn't need Moses to get the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land. In fact, he doesn't need Moses for anything. Is that true? He doesn't need Moses for anything. Be careful, Steve. With one exception. If on the off chance... God desires to have a relationship with Moses, then in that one instance, he would actually need Moses for that. God didn't need Moses for anything. He doesn't need Moses for any reason at all. But if he wants to have a relationship with Moses, then he does need Moses for that. Furthermore, if he desired to have a relationship with the nation of Israel, then I suppose for that one thing, he would need the nation of Israel, wouldn't he? Don't misunderstand me. God needs nothing from us, nothing from any one of us, nothing from all of us combined, and we need everything from him. But for some inexplicable reason, he loves us. And because he loves us, he desires to have a relationship with us. And in that one thing, he needs our participation. And so it is in nearly every story in the Bible in which God desires to complete his will in the world, he works through people to do it. Now, does God need you to edify others? Or does God need others to edify you? The answer is no. He could get that job done any other way he could come up with. But God is consistent. He does things in an established way. He's even predictable. And he is in the habit of using people to bring about his will in the world. When God wanted to save a remnant of humanity from a great flood, he had Noah and his family build an ark. When God wanted Jacob and his sons to move to Egypt, he sent Joseph to prepare the way. When God wanted to bring Israel out of Egypt, he sent Moses. When God wanted to punish Canaan for hundreds of years of idolatry, he sent Joshua. When God wanted to heal Naaman of leprosy, he sent a slave girl and a prophet. When God wanted to lead the nation, he sent a shepherd boy named David. When God wanted to save the nation from an evil advisor, he sent a beautiful girl named Esther. When God wanted to get a message to Nebuchadnezzar, he sent Daniel. When he wanted to talk to the people, he sent a prophet. When he wanted to save the world, he sent a girl to have a baby. 
When he wanted to spread the gospel, he sent a group of ordinary people and they turned the world upside down. In the process of getting his will done in the world, he also accomplished his will to have relationships with all of those people that he used. The theme is always the same. God wants something done, and instead of just doing it himself, which he absolutely could do, he gets in touch with just some normal everyday person and tells them what he wants them to do. I hope you can easily see the pattern of how God works. It's an incredibly consistent pattern. Again and again throughout the Bible, God works through people. Are you getting it? Just everyday, ordinary kinds of people to accomplish extraordinary things through his power. In all of these stories, God introduces himself to somebody and he starts a relationship with them. Sometimes they resist him at first. Sometimes they just go along with it from the beginning. But in every case, they end up getting to know God by walking with him and serving him and experiencing his love and his faithfulness. And in every single story market, there's a point where they just have to take a leap of faith. They have to trust God at his word and hope for the best. God has worked this way with humanity from the beginning, and he has grown his church from nothing to where it is today in the exact same way, and I promise you he is consistent to the point of practically being predictable. Based upon what we have seen and what God has taught us through all of these stories and all of the commandments that he has given, we can depend on God to continue to act in the same way that he has demonstrated over and over again, which is if he wants to accomplish his will in the life of some person, he will do it by sending to them another person. And if he wants to accomplish his will in your life, then he will send you a person through whom he will act. So often in life, we are praying to God for help. We are looking to God for help, looking to heaven for some sort of miraculous response, while all the while, God is sending us people and we're not seeing the answers to our prayers that God is sending because we are expecting the answer in some other form. God is in the habit of working his miracles through very ordinary-looking people. It is, in fact, nearly always the way he works. Look around yourself right now in this room. Seriously, go do it. Do it. Look to and fro. Wave to someone. Give the little head nod. What's up? I want you to recognize that in this room right now, there are seated beside you the answers to many of the prayers that you have been asking God for. I also want you to realize that you are the answer from God to someone else's prayers. 
That is what it means to be an edifying church. God hears your prayer for guidance or help or courage, and he sends to you a person. Or God hears the prayer from someone else's lips for guidance or help or courage or healing, and he sends to them you. You, right now, and just as you are, are the God-given answer to someone's prayer. Are you answering that call? You also have needs that you need met in your own life, and you're looking to God for the answer, and if you don't notice the people around you, you may miss the very answer that God is sending. God is very consistent, almost predictable in the way He functions, and through His Word, He has told us thematically, and sometimes directly that the answers he brings to our prayers will come to us through those members of the body of Christ that are around us. God works through people. And you and I and everyone else in this room are people. Edification in the church happens through people in relationship with other people. God is a God of relationships. And God has always used people to get his will accomplished on earth. Edification is, a, is God accomplishing his will in the church through relationships. It is the perfect marriage of God's great desires. You are here. This is your church. That is not lucky. That is not coincidence. And that is not haphazard. Instead, it is purposeful. It is providential. It is by sovereign design. What you need from God is available to you here through these people. And that will be true as long as you are here. Furthermore, your purpose is here ministering to these people. And that will be true for as long as you are here. You need look no farther than this place, these people, and this moment. All God has for you and for you to do is here and now. And now we've landed directly on my fourth point, which is this. God wants to use you to carry out his purpose here on earth through you and in order to have a closer relationship with you. Because God is a God of relationships, he has designed a system of dispersing the blessing he wants to bring to humanity through humans. This way, those who are called to fulfill his purpose are placed in a position of needing to walk with him and trusting in him. And those people that they are serving are growing closer to them and closer to God through them. Through this system of working in the lives of people, God is growing relationships with people and causing people to grow in relationships to him and with each other. Because God is a God of consistency, we can determine that the way in which he has worked throughout history is the way in which he will continue to work, but we actually don't even have to just count on that historical evidence. We can go to the word and get explicit instructions 
John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new covenant I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also love one another. Sounds a lot like relationship, doesn't it? By this people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In Romans 12, 10, it says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. That's actually a beautiful definition of what it is to be in a a relationship. Romans 15, 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. See, that's expected of us. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, finally, brothers, rejoice Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3, 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. After reading all of those verses, I want you to know I have only scratched the surface of the verses that I could have read. God has so designed each one of you individually and the body of Christ corporately to function properly only when our relationship with God is lived out in our service to him, which is always in the context of our relationships to each other. You were designed to need others, and they were designed to need you. And we were all designed to need God, and it all fits together perfectly in this plan of God. He wants to work through you, for your benefit as you relate to him and to others whom he sends you to serve. And he also wants to relate to others as he sends them to relate to you in service to him and for his glory. Your walk with God is really nothing more than your relationship with God. And your relationship with God, hear this, will never be stronger than your relationship with God's people. Does that sound severe to you? Hear the words of Christ, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, first be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. At the time Christ spoke those words, the sacrificial system was the way in which people maintained their relationship with God. And in these two verses, God is saying, you have no relationship with me until you've done everything you can do to fix the one with your brother. Listen again to the words of Christ, Matthew 22, 37 through 40. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
This is the great first commandment. And I ask you, is that not completely about relationship? And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I ask you, is that not relationship? On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. I hope you're seeing the level of importance that God places on our relationships to one another and our love for one another and our service to one another. You know why the church is so important to you and why you are so important to the church? Because God works through people to carry out his will in the world and his will in the lives of others. And if the relationship between you and others is bad, then God's power to work through you in their life is hindered. The counterpoint is also true. God's power to work through them in your life is hindered. But if we love each other and serve each other and live for the good of each other, then God's power can flow through all of us to the degree to which God chooses to bless us. Which brings me to my last point. If this church will submit to God in the way of serving him faithfully, by edifying each other faithfully, then this church will generate from God more supernatural power to affect the world for good than we could possibly imagine. God has a purpose for this church, and it's not for half of this church, and it's not for 75% of this church. It's not even for 95% of this church. It is for all of this church. God's purpose is that all of this church would love him and serve him by loving and serving each other without any care for ourselves. God is looking for people who will go and will do his will in the lives of others and for the benefit of others. Are you that person? Are you the person who will make your walk with God such a priority that you will go and fulfill God's work in the life of of someone else. Will you also be a person who will humble themselves to the point of allowing others into your life so that they can do God's work in you? It goes both ways. There's a give and a take to this. It is the flow of that give and take that is relationship. The church is an edifying church. It exists in part for the building up of God's people through the love and encouragement of God's people. And if this church would catch hold of that vision and trust God with all, all our hearts to that end, then God would have the freedom to use you and me and all of us to work in all of us in miraculous ways. Our power in Christ is unlimited. It is as unlimited as Christ himself but it starts with relationships, a relationship with God and many relationships with God's people. Open your life in an intimate way to the church and to the give and the take that follow. 
Now, maybe you don't like this. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, this sounds horrendous. I don't want to be a part of this at all. I want to stifle this as best I can. Well, I didn't forget you. I have three ways in which you can throw a wrench in the plan. If you don't want God's power to work through you into the life of someone else, and if you don't want anyone else's life to affect you, this is what you do. Number one, don't show up. Just do not come. Or at least, if you come, don't ever commit to getting involved consistently in anything. Just don't show up, or if you're going to show up, at least do it sporadically. And don't come to very many things. The most dangerous thing, in fact, you could do to unleash God's power in your life is show up. So by all means, don't do that. Number two, if you happen to come, don't let anyone see your sins or your issues. Coming is dangerous enough, but if you're going to come, by all means, do not be honest. If someone asks you how you're doing and you are on the brink of divorce, you better smile. I'm doing great, brother. And you got to be believable. They got to buy it. Number three, and this is a very important, you listen carefully. Be sure to take offense at almost anything anyone does or says. And I can't stress this one enough. Get mad and offended often at the drop of a hat. And certainly, please, under no circumstance, ever forgive anyone for the smallest thing. If you will just follow these three simple rules, you will all but eliminate God's ability to use you to edify others and to use others to edify you. If you will just follow these three simple rules, then you can be sure you are doing quite a lot to keep God's power and purpose that is in you from leaking out and blessing anybody. Now, I know that's kind of a funny way to say that, but let me get serious for just a second. And I want you to hear me loud and clear. If you are following any of these three rules in any way, shame on you. And I'm, I'm dead serious. Shame on you. Who do you think you are, quite frankly? If you are a Christian in this church and you are doing those things, you are blocking the power of God and you're doing it on purpose. Shame on you. By the way, Edification is also rebuking. That was an example. That was free of charge. This is the church of the living God. And he has called you to a purpose. 
here and now. Answer the call. Brothers and sisters, God wants to use you. Will you be used? God wants to send you. Will you go? And if you're here today and you've never committed your life to Christ, what are you waiting for? Our God is a God of relationships. He wants to have a relationship with you. And in that one thing, he actually needs you. Will you not accept the free gift of salvation and enter into the eternal love of God and be in a relationship with God and with God's people? Brothers and sisters, God has a call on your life and it is to edify others in this church specifically and to be edified by others in this church specifically. And all of that starts with relationships. Answer that call. Do it. Let's pray.